Amen. Beautiful song. I'd like to invite you to join me this morning in reading from two passages. <clears throat> the first will be in Exodus chapter 19, and secondly, in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's a real privilege to have the opportunity to uh, speak today and thankful for Pastor giving me the opportunity between the series of studying who Jesus was as he identified himself in different ways in the Gospel of John and then uh, looking forward to uh, the series on abiding in him. That'll be great. We're going to look at a different part of the Bible today uh, than the Gospels and um, be reading first from uh, Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 3. <clears throat> you may notice that uh, Exodus is that time when the nation of Israel has left Egypt and they are uh, preparing to leave and travel through the wilderness to the nation uh, to the promised land, the land they had promised them. And you're probably familiar with Mount Sinai, where the law was given, the Ten Commandments, and that's about to to take place and be addressed in chapter 20. But in Exodus 19 and verse 3, and Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. The next, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He hath found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. And then let's pray together if you would with me this morning. Father, we are thankful for the fact that we can come and worship you together. Um, we can re be reminded that you are good and that you have provided salvation in Christ. And uh, Lord, that you desire us to follow you and know you. And we pray, Lord, that you teach us about yourself through your word and help us to uh, take the steps we ought to take to, to know you more clearly and to uh, be faithful to what you teach us. We are thankful for uh, those families who maybe don't have a, a dad or, or grandpa or maybe some families never uh, got started because there were men and women who gave up their lives um, to defend their country. And um, we're thankful we have the privileges we have today and the, uh, the freedom we have today and because of many who've come on before us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to uh, be thankful for that, recognize that, help me to live my life in a meaningful way and, and do so in worship of you and in remembrance, not just of those, um, but also of Christ who gave his life for us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Moses was a profound character in the Bible. 
the first five books of the Bible, which if you have a physical Bible with you, you see covers a lot of pages, was written in large part by Moses. Genesis begins with creation, how God made the world and how God uh, operated in Adam and Eve in the fall and being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then we meet a man named Abraham. And Abraham was someone who God, uh, I skipped over the flood, but there's a lot to cover. But uh, Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you and your family is going, to, uh, is going to be a special family. And I'm going to, uh, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham traveled and he showed him a land that he had promised for to provide for Abraham and his family. He had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And we read, and we used the word Jacob in what we read. Uh, Jacob's name was also Israel, or was changed to Israel. And so when we think about the nation of Israel, we're linking it back to Jacob and his uh, 12 sons, his children, that became uh, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. But Jacob had a son named Joseph. And uh, Joseph ended up, of course, being uh, betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And even though the circumstances were terrible, God had a plan through it all, and Joseph ends up becoming a very important statesperson in the nation of of Egypt, and uh, he is second in command only to Pharaoh. You'll have to read the end of Genesis to follow how God did all of that, but the reason for it is that when a famine comes, Joseph is able to provide a place of comfort, a place of safety, a place where his family that had betrayed him could be taken care of. And Joseph shows great grace. He shows great forgiveness. And when the time comes, he receives his family and their children and and their wives and, and their cattle and all of that. They have a place in Egypt, in Goshen. And it's a prosperous place. There's plenty of rain. Uh, Hopefully not too much rain, but uh, they're able to have their flocks and their, their, their herds and the, and the nation begins to grow and multiply and uh, wonderful things begin to, to, to happen um, and, uh, and uh, they, they get rooted there. They're going to be in Egypt for hundreds of years. And uh, if you think about our history here in America, uh, I've never left the United States. Uh, my parents, uh, my, my mom was a refugee, came over from, from Germany. But uh, for me, I'm very comfortable here and I would not know probably what to do with myself other places. I'm pretty comfortable in the United States of America. I would like to visit, but I'm glad I live here. Well, imagine this nation got settled and deeply rooted in Egypt. They had multiple generations after generations. They didn't know anything different. This is where they lived. This was the culture they were used to. This was the, the temperature they were used to. This was, this was life for them, generation after generation after generation. But the reality is, Egypt was not the place where the nation of Israel was supposed to be. That wasn't the ultimate destination. It was a good place for them at the time when God led them there. But the place that they were supposed to be was a place we call the promised land or Canaan. And so it was going to take something for them to leave this place where they had gotten rooted to move on and be where God wanted them to be. We realize what takes place in Egypt where things got pretty difficult. They grew and prospered so much that Pharaoh was concerned that his sovereignty, the sovereignty of the Egyptians and their army and his power was going to be challenged. And so they get enslaved and not only enslaved, but we read that at some point the Pharaoh decides that if there's a boy child who's born, they really should just take him and throw him in the river. And uh, and, and that way they could suppress the, the population growth. And 
it was really a difficult circumstance. And at this point in time is when Moses comes on the scene. Moses is born in Egypt. He's born to Jewish parents and they want to preserve his life. He's a boy, obviously, and they end up putting him in a, in a, in a basket or ark. And, and instead of throwing him in the river, they put him in that basket. And Pharaoh's daughters, uh, one of Pharaoh's daughters, finds the baby and she adopts it, and brings it into her household. And Moses is educated in the palace. He learns how to read and he learns about how the government works. And he learns about all of these different things. And he also learns about God because he is still cared for by his biological mother. It's a, Amazing how God provided for that. Well, Moses is growing up and learning. The Bible says when he was 40 years of age, he, he had to come to a, a decision, and, and it was a tough circumstance. He ends up killing an Egyptian uh, slave taskmaster and ends up having to leave. But uh, I, I don't know if he should have killed the taskmaster. I don't know all the situation there. But I, I do know the Bible does say that he chose to identify with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he ends up leaving Egypt, and for 40 years, the next 40 years, he's a shepherd in the wilderness. And so he spent 40 years in the palace, now 40 years as a shepherd, and uh, that's when he comes across a burning bush, and God gets his attention and says, I want you to go and lead the nation of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt, and I want you to take them and lead them to the place I had promised them, the place that, uh, that uh, Jacob, his bones were buried there. Abraham was buried there. Joseph said, I want my bones to be buried there. This is not your final home. It's going to be the promised land. Moses, I want you to be the one to lead them. And Moses does. He leads them across the Red Sea. He leads them into the the wilderness. But when they come to the promised land, it's time for them as a people to go over the Jordan River and begin to uh, occupy. And there were going to be battles and it was going to be very difficult. And they realized that it was very intimidating, very scary. They had not been there. They only had known slavery in Egypt. And uh, out of fear, they decided not to go in. And for 40 years, the remainder of Moses' life, they would wander around in the wilderness. And so as we think about the Pentateuch, the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we know that Genesis is about beginnings. It tells us about the creation of the world, and about Adam and Eve, and about Noah and the flood, and about Abraham and and these things. We know that Exodus is about leaving Egypt, and their beginnings to go into the uh, wilderness, and they're given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Leviticus, if you've read it any time recently, you know is full of all the ceremonies about the worship, and the tabernacle, and the, the tribe, the Levites, who became a tribe of of priests. Uh, we know that uh, Numbers is about their journeyings through the wilderness and the events that took place. And then also Deuteronomy uh, concludes everything with instruction and encouragement and, and edification. And what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 32 is actually the last day of Moses's life. It's the time when God has told Moses It's about time for this nation to now go ahead and cross the Jordan River and Joshua is going to lead them. You're going to die. I'm going to take you onto a mountain and show you the land, but you're going to die at 120 years old. You're going to die. But I want you to encourage the the people. I want you to see the land and and then I'm going to remove you and the people are going to go take place. And so chapter 32 verses 1 to 43 is a song, a song that Moses wrote. Chapter 33 are some encouragements that um, Moses gives to the people. And then chapter 34 is just the death of Moses. He sees the land that the nation is going to travel into and then the Lord takes him. So Moses is 120. They're preparing to enter Canaan. Joshua will lead them. Moses is about to pass away. And in this song, 
Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 10, notice how Moses describes how God had worked in their lives. And I think there's some lessons for us here as well, but notice in verse 10 of chapter 32, speaking about the Lord and speaking about Israel. The Lord found him in a desert place and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. I tried to learn more about what the apple of the eye means, and I guess it means just the pupil. But if you, the idea here is that, that, that God had, Israel had God's full attention. God was, was zeroed in on Israel. He was paying full attention to what was going on in his life. I don't know if you ever did this. I remember this with my dad. Sometimes we had games we'd play, and I remember as a little boy, I'd stick my nose against his nose and look in his eyes, and we'd kind of have a staring contest right there. And it was kind of fun. I had my dad's full attention. And I had a lot of brothers, so it was always fun when I had my dad's full attention. And uh, this is the case with Israel. Verse 11, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. As an eagle, Moses says, so the Lord As an eagle works in the life of her little ones, in the nest, through the birth. Do you birth when you come out of an egg? Through the hatching period, uh, where they eventually take off and fly, and, and that whole process. As an eagle, so the Lord works. The Bible uses lots of metaphors like this. It talks about a potter and the clay, Many of the people would have been very intimately familiar with how utensils were made and they would take clay and there was a process where the potter would would mold it and form it into whatever you happen to need, a bowl or or dish or cup or whatever the case was. And so he says that the Lord is like the potter, we're like the clay or, or we're sheep and the Lord is the good shepherd. I am the vine and ye are the branches. And in this case, he says, as an eagle, so the Lord. So we have a, a metaphor of, of, of the Lord working in the life of Israel like an eagle works uh, in the life of her children. Eagles are some remarkable creatures. One of the things that they do that I guess no other bird does, really no other creature in the world does, is uh, when there's a, a, a thunderstorm and the black clouds roll in, oftentimes what an eagle will do is he'll fly above the storm. He's getting there, he's getting a suntan while everyone else is being poured on. And if you've been in an airplane, you know what it's like to, to break up th- through the clouds and it's sunshine and then come back down sometimes and it's, it's cloudy and, and overcast and, and they can fly up to 10,000 feet and evidently do so with almost no effort. They have such a big six, seven foot wingspan, they can just catch the air and, and just kind of float around for, for hours. Uh, another thing about eagles is they make some really remarkable nests. The largest bald eagle nest, they say, was found in St. Petersburg, Florida. It was nine and a half feet in diameter, 20 feet deep, because every year they add on to it, and weighed, they estimate, almost three tons. And knowing Florida, they probably turned it into a bed and breakfast or Airbnb or something by now. And as an eagle kind of prepares and works in the life of a child, so the Lord works. As a mother eagle cares for her young, so the Lord led Israel. And let's look at that, if you would, with me this morning. Just some 
observations or perhaps some lessons we can learn about how God worked in the life of Israel and how he may lead in our lives as well. Notice first that he stirreth up her nest. The mother eagle, in verse 11, stirs up her nest. So the first process, as I understand it, with eagles is they make their nest, and I think we have a picture of the nest that they put together. It's full of sticks. It's full of uh, these big sticks. These aren't little twigs. These are solid sticks, and they begin to weave them together. They'll actually use bones and put those into it. Anything they can find is a construction material that's going to create a significant architectural thing there for them to be in. And of course, the eagle's big, and so they're oftentimes about seven feet wide in diameter. And then what they'll also do, after it's made and strong and established and fixed up, they'll put moss on the inside of the nest. So they'll make it really comfortable. Um, when I think of eagles and I think of the nest that they've created, I think of sleeping in a bed with a down comforter you know, with a down pillow and just you sink into it if you've uh, had that. And it's just really comfortable and, and must be cozy. When they build the nest, they put them pretty high. In America, it's usually about 100 feet high, something like that. They pick a tree that is higher than the other trees around it so that they can fly into it and fly out without, uh, without having to worry about crashing into other things and probably to keep uh, their, their, their nest safe from predators. And so it's, it's always quite high, maybe in a cliff, maybe out of the way. So imagine uh, being a, a, a little eaglet in, in that nest. It's comfortable, it's big, it's cozy, and it's way out of the way. It must be peaceful and quiet. You can see the whole world from, from, where, you're, from where you're sitting. And so it's all there. It's comfortable. The eaglets, the, the eggs are laid, two or three eggs. They're, they hatch, they're... Um, they're, they're alive now, and now they're getting fed, and eagles have a good diet. They can bring fresh rabbit, uh, perhaps uh, salmon or trout that comes out of the stream or the river. I read that one of the largest things they've known an eagle to grab is a 15-pound mule deer fawn. A bald eagle was found with a 15-pound mule deer fawn. And so plenty of protein to grow, plenty of, plenty of food, and it's all brought to them. But then something interesting happens. After they begin to grow and develop, there's a certain stage at which the eagle stops bringing them everything. He doesn't, she probably, doesn't bring them quite as much food. And when they do bring the food, they they drop it off at different parts of the nest so that the bird has to sort of struggle to get to it, has to walk over and get the food. And then uh, they evidently start to pull away some of this moss. They start to... Uh, stir the nest. They begin to, to do different things that makes the nest less comfortable. And the, the reason for that must be because the eagle instinctually knows it's very important that my job as a mother is to help the eaglets not just be comfortable, right? But to, but to eventually learn to fly. And part of the way to get them to fly is to get them to practice walking around and jumping around and flapping their wings. And he knows that, she knows that at some point, if I keep saying he, I think it's a she, you you get the point. At some point that this is going to require a big step for them to to launch out and she wants to prepare them as much as possible. So the, the, the nest is getting less and less comfortable for the eaglets. This seems to be something like what God did in the life of Israel. They were in Goshen, they were doing well, they were there for hundreds of years, but it became time for them that they needed to leave. 
They needed to go where they could worship the Lord as they were intended to do, where they could build a tabernacle and build a temple. They could worship God. They could uh, follow the, the covenant that God had established with them and, and, and grow. And, and so they needed to leave Egypt. And so Moses comes, and if you'll recall, he comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And there's big battles that took place between, as it were, the Lord and Moses and Pharaoh and his, and his crew. And the plagues, the ten plagues helped show the Israelites that God was sovereign over the, the you know, the Ra, the sun god. Well, the, there was darkness and, and frogs and the Nile River and, and water turns to blood and all these different things. But it showed that God was bigger than, than all of those other things. And God was preparing them to trust in him and follow him and showing himself to them. But things were getting difficult in Egypt. They weren't supposed to stay in Egypt. And it would seem that God's work in sanctification, what he is doing in your life and in my life as Christians, his, his, his main goal in sanctification is not to make us comfortable, but to help us become what we ought to be. His main working in our life through the circumstances of life and through uh, the different way the Lord speaks to us through his spirit, and through his word and through the circumstances of life is not ultimately to make us more comfortable, or maybe even feel more secure in all of these things, although there are times we definitely need that. But his main goal, ultimate goal, is to help us to grow. And we see this all throughout the the Old Testament of our Bibles. We see it in the life of Job. Job was doing great. I mean, he had all, he was following all of Dave Ramsey's baby steps financially. He was doing awesome. He was at financial peace. Uh, he he was had a family that was doing well. They were all would uh, got along, all ten children, and and uh, it must have been a really uh, comfortable life for him in some ways. I know it was a lot to manage, but the picture we have is he was righteous and things were going awesome. And then in a day, he lost it all. There aren't too many people who went through what Job went through. We understand that, but at least in Job's life, he lost it all. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost the respect that he had. And he writes this in Job 1. He says, then Job arose and and we we read, he rent his mantle, shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Job understood and would even more deeply understand throughout the course of the circumstances of this part of his life that there was a certain wisdom in trusting God and God was doing something deeper than just making him comfortable. We learn as we read Job that more was going on with all of that. We read about Joseph. He had a great vision of the future. He was the youngest child at that time and he was also the favorite child. He'll end up having uh, Benjamin, but he was the favorite son and he had a, a wonderful coat his dad had given him and uh, he had dreams of, of just wonderful things taking place where uh, he was respected and people were bowing down to him and, and he had these visions of the future but it meant a very bumpy journey for him to get there. God needed to do some things in his life geographically to move him but also in his own heart. He needed to be humbled and he needed to learn about grace and he needed to learn about reliance on God. And these things he learned throughout the next uh, decade or more of his life as he, as a teenager, ended up being sold into slavery and then ended up being in Egypt. We read about Esther. I didn't ask to be placed in this position, but Mordecai says to her, 
Maybe you're here for such a time as this. A difficult place to be, but, but God's doing something bigger than just making you comfortable. We think about Ruth and how that she was married to one of Naomi's sons in Moab, and she had grown up in Moab, and ends up, all the, the men die, Naomi's husband dies, and her husband dies, and she comes as two widows, they come as two widows back to Israel, and that's where they find redemption. Ruth finds redemption in Israel. You know, that's why James can say when he writes his letter, sort of as a pastor to the strangers scattered abroad, he, he, he writes to them a letter in James, we have it in our Bibles in the New Testament, and he says this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it as a, as a, as a positive thing, as a good thing, that, that you fall into these different temptations. He says the reason is because knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There's something that's going on that's, that's good, that's even more valuable than just the, the comfort of today. It's not fun, he's saying, but it's worth it. Count it all joy. You know, few people, when they're on their phone with uh, you know, a good friend, a Christian friend, or uh, we're taking prayer requests at, at church or something like that, or perhaps in a, a meeting together, a few people pray for problems, Right? There's very few people who say, you know, I'm taking a trip uh, next week and I'd just like you to pray that I have a flat tire. I really enjoy that. I pray that gas prices just go sky high this summer, that we have our road trip planned. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying today that, uh, that I have some family problems, that there's some things that take place that are just difficult and will require a lot of wisdom and questions. I'm praying for a rainstorm at the church picnic. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Lightning, thunder. Praying for a lion's den so that God can prove himself strong and show himself to the, the, uh, the Babylonian empire. I'm praying for a fiery furnace. Would you, would you pray that uh, Judas betrays me and, with a kiss and I get to feel all of that? We, we don't pray for problems, but it's sometimes it's worth acknowledging that it's the problems that lead to the greatest growth and sanctification in our life. I learned this lesson perhaps as a, I just, this brought to mind as I thought about this when I was a, a, a little boy and my dad uh, asked me to hose out the trash can. Do any of your trash cans ever smell sometimes in the summertime? All right. Ours did, so. I pulled it by the curb, and this is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There's a Walgreens across the street, uh, right across the street from us, and then uh, a bread store and, and a couple other things, big parking lot, and then up a real steep hill, and then that's our house right there up, 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 up on the hill. So I pull the trash cans out by the curb, I got the hose, and I start spraying out the outside and spraying out the inside, and things were going great, but I, what I hadn't thought through was, uh, as I'm spraying it out, it's accumulating water inside, and it's in a certain position where it's just collecting more and more water, and I got to the point where I need to dump this water out, and I hadn't figured out how to do that, because it weighed as much as I did at that time. And so I tried to, you know, use leverage and uh, read up on Isaac Newton about uh, physics and things like this to try to get this tipped over. And I finally was able to just, it took me a long time. I was, I was really struggling and uh, got it tipped a certain way. And I think I maybe got something under the back of it and water started to go out. And eventually I was able to tip it totally ups- upside down and all the water came out. I was pretty happy with myself until I heard clapping. And I looked up and my whole family was sitting there in the window watching me this whole time. 
And uh, I don't know if they were thinking in their head, you know, I could go help him. Uh, but uh, instead, uh, we really want him to, to grow and learn how to come through problems on his own. They're probably sitting there saying, this is hilarious. But they didn't have <laughs> iPhones at the time and film was expensive. So uh, they just decided to watch. Well, the writer of Hebrews, he says this. He says, no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. There's the reality that there's a certain, in love, not with, any, not with the intent to, to hurt or damage or, or punish in that sense, but there's, there's, there's something about chastisement, right, of a father who loves his child and cares about him, or a father who perfectly understands the limits and place where people are. There's something about that that, that it doesn't seem joyous in the moment, but it yields something deeply peaceable the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. Well, that's what an eagle does. He stirs up the nest. She stirs up the nest. She uh, is working not only to create a safe environment for those eaglets, but then at some point understanding that it's important to, to prepare them to, to move on. And secondly, we see that the, the eagle uh, not only stirs up the nest, but fluttereth over her young. It's an eagle's job to teach the eaglet to fly. A lot of it's probably instinctual. You have these big wings and, and you can start to feel the air and as they begin to flutter, they can sort of get a little bit of a sense for it. But it's the job of the, the eagle to really spend a lot of time around the eaglets and, and kind of flutter and evidently beat the wings and, and take off and, and come back and begins to show the birds how to fly, begins to really spend a lot of attention preparing them to have their initial virgin flight over the expanse. And we see that, that God seems to have done this in the life of Israel. He revealed his power through the ten plagues of Egypt. He led them across the Red Sea on dry land and then uh, collapsed it on the Egyptian army. He guided them, the Bible says, by, through a cloud by day and by a fire by night. He, he led them. They weren't lost. They weren't forgotten. They didn't have to figure it out on their own, but God was leading them step by step, maybe not they didn't see how it all would unfold, but he was there with them. His presence was there. A cloud by day, a fire by night. He gave them the Ten Commandments and said, these are some basic guidelines that I want you to follow as you serve me. There's only one Lord, and, and this is how you should treat others around you. And, and he, he gave them the Ten Commandments. He fed them manna from heaven so that they would have the food they needed to eat in a wilderness situation. Their shoes and their clothing didn't wear out. He provided for them the tabernacle and the Levites and instructions about how to worship and how to teach and, and learn about who God was. He, uh, he did all of that as an eagle fluttereth over her nest and is devoting attention to them and teaching them how to fly, not to be comfortable, but how to prepare them to, uh, to, con- to grow and prepare them for their, for their lunch. He's fluttering over the nest, preparing them. As an eagle fluttereth over her lungs, so the Lord fluttereth over Israel. You need to be prepared. Be strong and of good courage. I want you to be prepared to, to go here now and go into this land, I promise you. That's where I really want you to be. And then lastly, we see that he says about this eagle, uh, that the, the eagle beareth them on her wings. It, it says, he spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. It must be a little bit strange now for the eagle to, to actually 
there's not really a halfway measure, I don't think, between jumping off the nest and, and flying, right? You kind of have to commit. And, uh, and so it must be an interesting experience for, for an eagle to be prepared to do that. These nests are, are high. And, and so with that little bit of experience and with the, the reality that wind will just kind of battle them around and their wings are young and inexperienced, it's probably a pretty awkward flight. I did take the time to watch just a little bit of a flight, but I am not an bird expert, so I don't know what I'm looking at. But uh, I did see that the, the, the older eagle looked like it was completely effortless to float around. It didn't even look like the wings moved, but the little eagle was like, looked like how it is when I fly a kite, kind of moving around and, and, and struggling. And it, and it seems that in a position which the, the, the eagle is, is going on their first flight or learning how to fly, fly that the, the mother eagle is always close by, is always... Is always swooping in and out right around the, the eagle. And as that eagle spends sometimes hours flying around and getting used to the wind and getting tired, the, the mother eagle's always there. And, and, and even to the point that evidently at some times, if, if things don't go like they should, that the, the eagle will actually come and, and, and let that little eagle be on top of her, on top of her wings so that they can rest if there's no other place for them to rest. It seems to be something like what might be going on here that Moses is simply saying that as you need provision, as you get tired, as you trip up, as you fall, as things don't go the way you maybe would hope to in your own strength, you, you have, you have the, the provision and the care of, of the eagle to trust in. That seems to be what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 40. He says, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Another thing that we're taught as we read the Bible, as we learn about different people who've uh, God worked in their lives in the Bible, is that that the heroes of the story are not really Job or David or or Esther. The hero of the story is always the Lord. It's simply the fact that these individuals walked by faith and they were willing to take where the Lord led them and to and to trust the Lord and to have the courage they needed to trust the Lord and do the things that the Lord asked them to do and to follow him into the things that the Lord asked them to do. And so it's not our own effort that's going to lead us and it's not our own strength that's going to save the day. In fact, Psalms 37 says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The psalmist says, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed. As an eagle uh, stirs up her nest and as an eagle fluttereth over her young and as an eagle beareth them on eagle's wings, so the Lord stirs up the nest and had done that in the life of Israel. So the Lord flutters over them and cared for them and so the Lord is there to sustain them not only through the wilderness journeys but into the next step, into the new land that they had promised and into the decades and, and centuries to come, God was going to be there and provide for them and they could trust in him. 
The reality in our life, in our Christian sanctification, is it's not only that we're going to have bumps and valleys, but the bumps and the valleys are part of what guides us and leads us to the, the growth and the strength that God wants to have in our life. It helps form us to be more like Christ. And so as Moses is writing this song to the, to the nation of Israel, what, you, what we won't read, but you m- might notice if you read it in chapter 32, is that he, he comes not only telling about the Lord and his care and his provision, but it comes with a warning. Moses warns the, the nation of Israel. He says, when you come into the, the nation of, of, when you come into Canaan and, and things go great and, and, I'll, and I'll provide for you and, and you're going to conquer and you're going to occupy and divide up the land and things will be great. He said, I'm concerned you're going to get comfortable there. I'm concerned you're going to get distracted by the idols of the culture you're going to be a part of. I'm concerned you're going to forsake the covenant and follow idols. I think you're going to possibly forget the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 22, Moses, the day he writes the song, in verse 22, says, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. And this is what he said to Joshua, the son of Nun. He gave him a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them. And I will be with thee. Take them into the land. Sing the song. I'll be with you and provide for you. But remember the song. Remember the warning about getting too comfortable and forsaking me. I wonder if one of the lessons about all of this is that we need to be careful about getting too comfortable. We need to be careful about... uh, being in a position where we're, we're comfortable and we're uh, not doing the things that God desires to do in our life or we misunderstand sometimes the things and opportunities that come into our life, what God may be doing in our life, that we get distracted by things that would take us away from the Lord. We get distracted by the, uh, whatever's going on in our lives and in the culture and we forget about the Lord. We forget about following Christ. We forget about what it means to look like Christ. We lack the courage to do the things that God would have us to do as we have to live by faith. In a way, flying is like faith, trusting in God and relying upon him so that we, can, that we can fly. Well, there will be bumps and valleys. That's part of the journey. And the reality is the nation of Israel did forsake the Lord. They got into the land of Canaan and they followed idols and there was ups and downs that took place in their life, eventually taken captive and God continued to work in their life. But it wasn't until centuries later that Mary gives birth to a, a baby and calls his name Jesus and Joseph and they lay him in a manger and he will live a life not in a palace but in a, a carpenter's home until he begins his ministry and he's going to teach and heal and he's going to identify himself as we've learned in the last series about who he was as the only begotten son of God and he's going to lay down his life on the cross. He's going to take the wrath of God for us. He's going to take our sin upon himself. He's going to be crucified. He's going to take the death that we deserve and give us the life that only he does. It's in the death of the cross that salvation will be provided to all who will believe. 
The night before, or the night he is betrayed, he, he will be in the garden and he will uh, pray to the Father. He'll say, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. As he looks ahead at what's about to take place, this separation with the Father and all of this, the crucifixion, the betrayal, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And of course, it is the Father's will that he goes through all of this. So there's wisdom in the cross. It's through the cross that salvation and redemption is made available to the whole world. It's through the cross that God, uh, through some of the difficulties that God uh, used in the life of Israel to bring them into the promised land. And sometimes it was the comfortableness that got them uh, distracted from, from following the Lord. There's wisdom in the cross. God is doing something more than just making us comfortable. He's asking us to be like Christ. It's interesting that in this part of the Bible, both Moses is given this instruction and Joshua is given this instruction. And both of them a lot, especially Joshua, though, as you read Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. I'm with thee. I'm there. Be strong and of good courage. As if it's going to be challenging. It's going to be intimidating. It's going to be scary sometimes. But trust in me. Be strong and of good courage. As an eagle teaches an eaglet to leave the nest and learn to fly, so the Lord teaches us to follow him with courage and faith. Not a journey geographically uh, to a, some special land like, like, um, like Canaan, but spiritually as we follow him and grow in sanctification. There was uh, a man who lived a remarkable life, and uh, I think he's uh, dying now, but uh, he wrote these words years ago, and it references the eagle. He says, when the race still lies before me and the wind is blowing strong, when the witnesses surround me and my strength is almost gone, when the valley plunges deeper and life shatters all my dreams, then I lift my voice to Jesus and he gives my spirit wings. Let us run the race with patience. Let us lay each weight aside, looking unto Jesus. He will be our faithful guide. He has run the race before us. He has won the victor's crown. And he calls to every Christian, follow me to higher ground i want to encourage you if you've never understood that it's only through the cross that we have redemption we have peace with god we're sinners and we need to be honest about that and we need to understand it's hopeless except for the fact that god loves us and he sent his son to take our place and die for us so we can trust in christ and be forgiven and be reconciled with god and it's important if you have trusted in christ to be reminded that it's Uh, we should follow Christ. And God's goal in our life isn't simply to make us comfortable here. We have a home, as the song says, beyond the blue. We have a a new heaven and a new earth and there dwelleth righteousness. And so that's that's in the future. But right now we're following him. The Lord is doing something in our life called sanctification, helping us to look more like Christ. And I don't know what he might be doing in my life or your life because our stories are different. But he tells us to, to... be a strong and be of good courage. Be a, a witness of me to the people in your community. He says, be strong and of good courage. Be the mom and dad that you need to be and confront the things that you need to confront and learn to forgive. And like Jonah, go somewhere you don't want to go and love people you might not want to love, but, but understand the wisdom of the cross, what the Lord might be doing in our li- life. As an eagle, so the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you do love us and you're not absent. That you left us your word, which tells us that we were created with meaning to have a relationship with you. That despite the sin in our hearts and in the world, 
that there is a path of redemption that you want to wash us and cleanse us and adopt us and that simply through faith in Christ and what he accomplished for us on our behalf we can acknowledge our sin and trust in you be part of your family Lord help us to follow you and understand that in following you it's not just about being comfortable per se although you comfort us and whatever we may go through and your presence is there and you care for us but to help us to be who you'd like us to be Lord help us to be courageous and obedient help us to have the faith we need to follow you we ask these things in Jesus name amen keep your heads bowed and eyes closed if you would for a moment we're going to let the music play and have a time of invitation and this is where we are invited to consider what God is teaching us or speaking to us about and and respond perhaps you've never acknowledged your sin and been honest privately with God about your need for a relationship with him, a need to be forgiven. I just encourage you to look to Jesus and trust in him. And I know pastor or others would love to talk with you and answer any questions you have. But my, my, my encouragement would be get peace with God. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Have the courage to, to do whatever, to address that and make sure that you have that peace in your heart. And then also, if we are Christians, it's important for us to ask the Lord what he may be doing in our life and just committing to launch out in faith and trust and ask for the courage to to do what God is leading us to do, whatever that step is in our journey of sanctification. As the piano plays, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet. There's places to come kneel or pray and spend a moment with the Lord.